title of our message, title of our series that we're going to be in for a few weeks, probably just the month of October. It's called Heaven is for Real. Heaven is for Real. How many of you know that heaven is real? It's a real place. Amen. It's a real place. And, um, you know, there's a movie that has just recently come out. I have not personally seen it myself, uh, but it is titled Heaven is for Real. And, uh, you know, we have thoughts, we have ideas about what heaven is, what heaven contains, what heaven is all about. Um, But I believe that there is some truth that we need to uncover. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, we've had some powerful services talking about truth, talking about unveiling the truth of the word of God. And um, uh, we've been discovering that, number one, God wants us to know truth. God isn't trying to hide things from us so we can't know it. He's hiding things or what Paul calls mysteries. Jesus called them mysteries of the kingdom. Those mysteries are hidden. So we will search them out to determine the value that we have to know the scripture, to know what God was talking about. Jesus did this when he taught about parables and when he told parables, he wasn't telling parables to confuse people. He was telling parables to determine who really wants to know what I'm talking about. Jesus was all about value. Okay. Jesus was all about if you really want to know it, You'll show it. If you really want to know, then you'll do some searching and digging. Uh, Jesus did not just leave things on the surface for everybody to just pick up and walk around with. He buried things. He hid things. But he wanted to know who's willing to go deeper and discover that. And so I believe that the message of heaven and the, the message of what heaven is all about, what heaven contains... Uh, You know, when we think about heaven, we usually think about a place that we're going to. We're usually thinking about the the next stop after this life. We usually uh, get an idea in our head. uh, You know, if I talk about heaven, you think I'm talking about, okay, when we die, where are we going to go? Right. We've all been asked the question probably at some point. If if you are born again, somebody probably confronted. If you died today, do you know where you would go? Okay. So this is usually the mentality that we have. But Paul says here in Romans chapter 12, this might seem like a weird verse to start off a series on heaven with, but you'll see where I'm going. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Number one, let's just look at this real quick. He's talking about presenting your bodies, our earthly bodies, the bodies that we live in right now. He's, it's, this isn't talking about presenting your, your, your life to God when you die. This isn't talking about, you know, judgment days. It's talking about right now. There's something that I could do with my body today to present it to God, wholly acceptable, pleasing to him. There's something I can do. And, and he goes on to say, by the way, this is your reasonable service. We have to get out of a mentality of I'm no good until I'm dead. I'm no good to God until I'm in heaven with him. Okay, we, we've got to get as believers, we've got to get past this mentality that I got saved uh, to get to heaven. We've got to strip that away. Because right here he's telling us he's kicking this thing off and he's saying you've got to present your bodies today. This is your reasonable service. Present your bodies to God. Now, this flesh on the outside is all messed up. 
It's all jacked up. Must be a more familiar term for some of us. This is all messed up on the outside, okay? So you're thinking, how can I present this body, this flesh that I'm living in, that's, that's covered in sin, that, you know, that, that has been laden with sin until, thank God, he came and, and paid the price for me to be redeemed and restored. How can I present this body? Well, the cool thing about it is the body can either be presentable for sin as Paul said in Romans chapter 6, are you going to present your members as instruments of sin or instruments of righteousness? Being born again now allows me to take this body that once knew nothing but sin, and now I can present it to God as an acceptable item. This is my reasonable service. Look at verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So how do I present my body to God? I transform my mind. Basically, essentially what Paul is saying here is if you can change your thinking, you can change your living. You can change the way you think. You can change the way you live. If you can transform your mind... To the word of God, renew your mind, as he calls it. Then my body, my life will then follow suit. But it's based upon what I'm thinking. It's based upon the mindset that I have. Now, here's the thing. Why do our minds have to be renewed in the first place? Because in the world. Before we were born again, our minds were thinking in line with one thing, sin. In sin nature, thanks to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? I mean, if you look at Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, their minds were not set on things of the earth. Their minds were not perceiving, how can I sin? How can I mess things up? Uh, what's, what's the next wrong thing I can get into? No, their, their minds are in this renewed form already. They're already thinking in line with heaven and what God wants. That's their only that's the only thing that's running through their mind until sin shows up. And so now that sin is in the earth, you and I are born into a sin nature. So our minds are stuck, locked in. It's amazing that because I got saved. My mind didn't. Otherwise, he wouldn't tell me to renew my mind. My spirit man got saved. My spirit man is made new. Second Corinthians, chapter five, verse 17. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, how come, you know, just because I got saved, I, I don't just all of a sudden not want to do that thing that I used to do. Or not want to say those words I used to say. Or not think on those. Why? Because my mind now has to be renewed. You can say it this way. At salvation, your spirit is saved. Your mind is being saved. But your flesh cannot be saved. That's why Paul says we just got to crucify the flesh. Just kill the flesh. That means subdue the flesh and make it do what you want it to do. So instead of it automatically doing sin and automatically doing what the devil wants you to do, like we were before Christ, before we were born again. Now I can get saved spiritually, renew my mind mentally and change my life physically. These are the steps. So anything that we look at in the word of God, we have to change our mentality to what the word says, not what the world says. 
Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because when I bring up the subject of heaven, probably just about everybody in this room already has a preconceived idea of what heaven's all about. You've already got, you, you've got some kind of mindset generated. And I pretty much tagged it just a minute ago when I said, when I say the word heaven, we automatically think of some place that we go to when we die. And so we have to renew our minds. We have to renew our minds to what the word says. Go over to Matthew chapter 15. Because there's something that I need you to do before we even get in to talking about heaven. I need you to change your thinking. I need you to change your thinking. I need you to change your thought process. I need you to change any preconceived idea or notion that you may already have of what heaven is and what heaven is about. Uh, Because uh, when we go into the word, you've got to go in just wanting to know what the word says. I just want to discover what the word says. About this, Matthew chapter 15. I think we've only got verse 3 in there. I'm going to read you verses 1 and 2 real quick. It says, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress, transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So there was a traditional law, traditional thinking that said, Before you eat bread, you have to wash your hands. And so the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the law at this time come to Jesus and say, why are you transgressing? Why are you uh, failing to keep the tradition of man, of the elders, by not washing your hands before you eat? So look at Jesus' response in verse 3. He answered and said to them, why do you also transgress? The commandment of God because of your tradition. Now, the Pharisees said, why do you transgress the tradition of the elders? But then Jesus responds, why do you transgress or fail to keep God's commandment for the sake of your tradition? And this was the number one issue that Jesus had with religious people of his time. What is tradition? Tradition is a preconceived notion of how something ought to be or how of, or of what something already of what you think already something means. Of what something already means to you. Tradition is passed down. In essence, you you didn't determine it. Because it was passed down to you. This is the way your parents did it. This is the way our grandparents did it. This is the way we did it in my old church. This is the way my old pastor used to say it. This is the way that I've always heard it said. See, tradition is scary because, can, because tradition can make you think you know something when you've done no work to discover it yourself. Now, I'm not saying all tradition is bad. I mean, there's traditions that we keep today that are good. We do communion. That's a tradition. We break the bread and we drink the juice in remembrance of Jesus. Not in remembrance of this is what I did as a kid. Okay? It's still a tradition. We, we baptize people in water in the name of the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. That's their tradition. It's been passed down. But we don't just do it because, well, this is what we've always done. We do it because we know the purpose for it. And the scary thing about tradition is the further down you get, you lose the purpose. But see, when I do it for the right reasons, when I take communion or I baptize people in water, and I do it for the right reasons, I'm no longer doing it traditionally. I'm doing it purposefully. And there's a difference. And Jesus is addressing the religious leaders here. And he's saying, why are you in the habit of breaking the commandments of God for the sake of what you call a tradition? See, you don't even know why it's important to wash your hands before you eat bread. You don't even you just know this is what we've always done. It's just a rule. It's just a law. And so Jesus is identifying that. While you're keeping traditions of men, you're breaking commandments of God. You're actually disobeying what God is asking you to do because you're just doing what man has always told you to do. And this is a dangerous place to be. Tradition hinders growth because tradition keeps you unteachable. The scary thing about tradition is, number one, you'll do it and you don't know why you do it. And number two, you won't change what you're doing because it's just what you've always done. You're not teachable. Jesus' number one issue with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leaders of the law of his day and age, was the fact that they were not teachable. Anything that he came in saying... They shot down. They didn't want to hear it. Why? Because it sounded different than what they always heard. The first time Jesus ever preached in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he says this. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. That word repent does not mean come down to the altar, ask God to forgive you of your sins and go back to your seat. That's not what that word repent means. When he said repent for the kingdom of God, he's not saying ask God to cleanse you of all your sins. It's not what he's saying at all. That word repent means to change your thinking. Change your thinking. That sounds a lot like Romans chapter 12. Renew your mind. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Jesus came saying, repent. He came saying, change the way you think. Because the message of the kingdom is going to sound different than what you've already established. Because these leaders of the law, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, they had already established what they thought God was all about. So when someone came in and wanted to tell them, hey, my God is all about a kingdom. My father is wanting to restore a kingdom back to the earth. They they couldn't hear it. When they already had a preconceived idea of what the king looks like, of what the Messiah looks like, when the Messiah shows up, they don't receive him. In fact, they crucify him. They kill him. But was Jesus the Messiah? Absolutely. Just because he doesn't look like what you think he's supposed to look like based upon your tradition doesn't make him not the Messiah. And so the Pharisees missed out. 
The Pharisees missed out. And because of moments like this where Jesus has to say, why are you transgressing what God has said? Because you're just wanting to live up to what man has already said. Traditional thinking will get us in trouble. Traditional thinking hinders our ability to grow. You've got to realize that when we believe traditionally, there's no work involved. There's no work involved. You're just believing what someone's already told you. You're just doing what you've already seen somebody else do. And so we've got to be people that don't just believe things and think things and, and do things traditionally. I remember I had someone, you know, a couple of years ago when we first started the church. And, you know, they had come maybe, maybe a month. I mean, they were still new. They had been here maybe four weeks. Not even that long. And they... Uh, we went out to lunch with them one afternoon. My wife and I just wanted to get to know them and stuff. And um, the, I, I remember the, the person asked us, they said, it was a couple, and one of them, they asked us, they said, uh, do you guys, I mean, do y'all do communion? Do you believe in doing communion? I said, yeah. Yeah, we believe in communion. I mean, it's, you know, it's what Jesus told us to do as the body. And when we're taking communion, you know, we're breaking the bread and we, we believe that Jesus' body was broken for our physical healing, for our physical restoration. And then when we drink the blood, we're, that's the blood that covers our sin, that makes us, that, that cleanses us, that makes us new, that brings us into the kingdom. Now, God sees us as righteous people because of the sin, because of the blood that Jesus shed. Yeah, we do communion. She said, okay, well, you know, I just... I'd, you know, I've been here about a month, you know, and, and hadn't, uh, you know, you guys hadn't seen you guys do communion. I said, well, did y'all do, I mean, whatever church you came from, did y'all do communion? Yeah, we did. We did communion every weekend. Every weekend. Whatever denominational background she was in, they did communion every weekend. I said, okay, uh, why, why did y'all do communion? I mean, why, why did y'all do it? I mean, it was just something we always did. And, you know, I just thought that's what you do in every church. You just do it every weekend. I said, that's, that's the issue right there. Because at Anchor Faith Church, we value to bring purpose to everything we do, not just do it just because we do it. That's the problem. I mean, we can do it every weekend. But Jesus didn't really tell us how often to do it. He just says, as often as you do it. So I need to know, I need to do it often. But as often as I do it, do it in remembrance of me. Well, they had done it so often that they didn't even remember why they did it anymore. And they lost the very purpose of what communion was all about. Communion means I'm communing with, means I'm connecting with somebody. And we just did communion. uh, If it wasn't last week, it was the week before that. And I define what communion is. Because Jesus said in his word that he had been waiting for, fervently waiting to do communion with his disciples. If you go and read in the book of Luke. Well, man, if he's fervently been waiting and fervently desired to do this, there must be a purpose. It wasn't just something that Jesus happened to do that night. Hey, you know what, guys? Grab some juice. Get some bread. Come over here. I got an idea. No, this was something that he had been waiting to do. There was a purpose behind it. And he wants us to do it with the same purpose. But due to tradition, 
we lost the purpose. Tradition breeds familiarity. It means I just become so familiar that I don't even recognize the purpose for it any longer. It breeds familiarity. There's no, there's no longer any meat to what we do. We just do it. And so in talking about heaven, I need you to strip away any traditional thinking or any traditional mindsets we may already have about heaven. I, I need you to, to do away with what you already think heaven is. I need you to repent. I need you to repent. What does that mean? Change your thinking. I need you to be open to the word of God. We talked about this on Wednesday night in Acts chapter 17. Paul went to a city called Berea. And the Bereans there, you know, Paul's preaching the message that he preached, bringing the gospel. Paul's preaching this message. And the Bereans, they received the word with all readiness, the scripture says. They received the word with open-mindedness, but searched the scriptures to see that it was so. I'm not asking you to be gullible today. I'm not asking you just to believe whatever I say because I say it. I'm asking you to be open to what the scripture says. And then go and prove it out yourself. But I believe that heaven, the message of what heaven is and what heaven has to offer us, is far different today than what Jesus preached. Because Jesus taught about heaven. Jesus talked about heaven. But Jesus never preached about heaven. And Jesus did not say anything close To the remnant of, I've come to die on the cross so you can go to heaven one day. Jesus never said that. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven. The scripture obviously tells us that in the twinkling of an eye we'll be caught up with him. But there are some things that we have believed about heaven. There's some things we've believed about a lot of things. Just because it's what we've always heard or it's what we've always been told or it's just what we've always thought. But I want to take a look at heaven. I want to take a look at this place called heaven. I said this a couple weeks ago. In fact, I said it last Sunday because if you missed last Sunday's message, it's such a huge precursor. I cannot reteach the whole thing. I can't you know, give you the whole thing. But last Sunday's message is vital to talking about heaven. But I talked about God's original design, God's original plan. When he set up the earth, what was God intending to do. Go there. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Because if we miss on, you know, it's funny how we try to come up with ideas and thoughts about what God is doing, but we never go back to the beginning. We just start in the middle. We just start with Jesus dying on the cross. Well, you know, a lot of times if you want to discover the purpose or something, you've got to go to the beginning of it. You've got to go all the way back. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, this is what we call the original intent. 
And intention means that's what I intend to do. That is my purpose. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. That doesn't talk about what we look like. That talks about what we do. Our image and our likeness has to do with our function. And so he's saying, I need them to function in the earth the way I function up here in heaven. I need them to do, to think, to process, to respond, to talk, just like I do. So let them, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth. Everyone say earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Everyone say earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then he blessed them. And God said to them, now he's speaking to man. There he was speaking amongst himself. Now he's speaking to man. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Everyone say earth. And subdue it, it referring to earth, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Everyone say earth. Where in there does it say heaven? Nowhere. None of those verses say you have dominion in heaven. Let them rule in heaven. Let them subdue in heaven. Every verse tells me. Because I'm man. Every verse tells me that I belong in the earth and that I was created for the earth, not heaven. He doesn't even say anything about one day I'm going to send my son and he's going to come back and get you out of the earth and bring you to heaven. There's no mention of heaven in this verse. And this is God's first instructions to man. This is what we call the original intent, God's original design. Psalms chapter 115 verse 16 confirms this. Psalms chapter 115 verse 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth, everyone say earth, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The earth. The first thing you got to understand about heaven is you are made for the earth. If we're going to understand heaven, I've got to understand earth. And I was made for the earth. I was made to live in the earth. I was designed to rule and have dominion on the earth. See, dominion, we've talked about this, dominion is authority. Dominion means to govern or to control. You can have dominion over your home. You can have dominion over your family. You can have dominion over your business. You can have dominion over your finances. You can, you can control, you can manage, you can govern anything, but you must have a territory. If you don't have territory, you don't have authority. I can't say I'm in charge of something and I don't have anything to be in charge of. You see this. Those of you that are farmers, you have dominion over your fields. And nobody else has dominion over your fields. That is your area to govern, to control, and to manage. Those are your trees. Those are your crops. Those are your fruits. 
You have dominion. If you're a business owner, you have dominion. If you're a manager of a store that maybe you don't own it, but you're in charge of it. Same thing. Because we don't own the earth. It doesn't belong to us. We're just in charge of it. We're just in charge of it. It's like you're managing a store that belongs to somebody else, but you've just been placed in charge of the store. So you've got responsibilities over the store. You've got to be. You don't have to, you know, someone comes to you and says, hey, I need off next Tuesday. Uh, okay, let me, let me go ask the, 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 the corporate people. No, you're the manager. You manage that. You govern that. You control that side of it. And when you go to them, they're just going to look at you and say, that's why you're there. You do the scheduling. Hey, I got this guy. He just doesn't want to listen to me. I and mean, every time I try to talk to him, yeah, fire him. You have control over that. You govern and manage that. Why are you coming to us? So when we go to God about stuff that's happening in the earth, he's saying, that's why you're there. I put you there. To have dominion and to control it and to manage it. Yeah, but, you know, that, that snake came in and, and, and uh, you know, and deceived Eve and, and she sinned. And so now we're just all a bunch of worthless little sinners. Well, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. The majority of Christians in the world today believe that Jesus simply came, died on a cross, rose again, so we could one day go back to heaven with him. That's as far as we know. That's as far as we think. And that, for most people, is traditional thinking. They only believe that because somebody else told them that. They only believe that. They only believe that the only reason Jesus came is so I could one day go to heaven with him and be in heaven with him. The, the only reason they believe that is not because they searched it out. It's not because they went in the word and looked up all the scriptures and found all the verses. They believe it because that's what somebody... In fact, they asked me. The, whole, the, the reason why I got saved is because someone came to me and said, When you die, do you know where you'll be? The whole purpose of getting saved was so I can go to heaven. I'm trying to show us traditional thinking. I don't ask that question anymore. Because salvation is not about death. Salvation is about life. Salvation is not about what I do when I die and leave this earth. Salvation is about being restored back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and living a purposeful life on this planet. Jesus did not come to die on a cross and go through all that he went through so we could one day, when we die, go to heaven. And when we die, not go to hell. I mean, let's just put it this way. In the Old Testament, there were people that God considered righteous. Abraham, Moses, David. And they never prayed the prayer of salvation. Jesus didn't come and die on a cross for them. But there was a lifestyle that emanated living for God. 
is a lifestyle. They weren't doomed to hell just because Jesus hadn't come yet. Jesus was away from more, far more than that. But there was something that Abraham didn't have. There was something that David didn't have. There was something that uh, 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 Joshua didn't have. There was something that Moses didn't have that I have. And now I have access to the Father. Boldly, confidently being able to go Him. I have the ability to be righteous I have the ability to now be seen the same way that he sees Jesus. They didn't have that. No, they had to give sacrifices. They had to go to the temple. They had to do all kinds of things. But I today, I can pray right from where I'm at. I can be, uh, I've been renewed and restored back into relationship and uh, the position that God originally designed for me to be in. We asked this question last week. We said, if Adam and Eve had never sinned, if Adam and Eve had not eaten the fruit, where would they be today? Right here. On the earth. Now, most people, you know, if you ask the question, uh, you know, what did Adam and Eve lose? I mean, when they bit into that fruit, what did they lose? And we think heaven. We, we just have this mindset that the end of man means the beginning of life in heaven. And Adam and Eve did not lose access to heaven. They lost their dominion and their authority in the earth. They lost the ability to rule and manage and govern and control The way God designed him to. So if God is going to fix this thing, if God is going to restore, how many of us have seen that word, restored? We've all seen that word. Well, restore, my Bible is on this podium and it falls to the ground. And I pick it up and I place this Bible on the chair. Have I restored it? Did I restore my Bible? No. The only way I can restore this Bible is by placing it back where it was before. The word re, that, that little beginning, re means as it was before, back to an original place. So if I am restored, God's not going to take me that was designed for the earth, I fall, and then God's going to restore me by placing me in heaven. If dominion and authority is restored back to man, that means I'm placed back in the position that Genesis 1.26 tells me I am back in charge to dominion, have control, and govern the earth once again. So that right there changes my entire mentality of what heaven is all about. Because now the earth is just a place that I just live and have to deal with trials. And, you know, there's a a ruler of this world. You know, there's Satan. He's roaming around and uh, he's causing all this trouble. And we just got to put up with all this trouble. And, you know, as Christians, we don't have any control. We don't have any authority anymore. And and, you know, God, just get me to heaven. Take me to heaven one day. I just can't wait to be present with the Lord. Can't wait to get to heaven and get away from all this mess. 
Right. We all want to leave the earth and go to heaven because this place is just a big mess. Anybody watching the news lately? Anybody seen the messes that are going on? Anybody seen the attacks that are taking place? I mean, if you don't believe we're in the last days, then I don't know what's wrong with you. (laughs) We are in the last days of the last days. I mean, we're at the end of this thing. I'm not saying Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. They were saying that. You know, my parents were saying that. My grandparents. They were. Paul was saying that. Paul was saying, "Get ready, he's coming." But I know this: I'm closer to the end than anybody else. <laughs> right? As this thing continues to progress, I'm only getting closer. To the end. And we're seeing the things that Jesus talked about and that Paul talked about. You know, in the last days there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Right? We've seen all that. We see it taking place right now. And instead of crying out to get to heaven, we ought to be crying out in our purpose to be operating in dominion and authority once again in the earth. If the church can get a hold of this message... And quit sitting around in terminals with your bags packed, waiting for the rapture to take place, and start acting on what God gave us to act upon in the earth. This thing might look a little different. This might be a little different. So this view of heaven, this distorted and contorted view of heaven that we have today, We've got to understand. Here's the bottom line. And this is, this is kind of the main statement of this entire series of where I'm going. Jesus is the only person on this planet ever to have existed from the beginning of time until the end, past, present, and future. Jesus is the only person that has ever come from heaven to the earth. Everybody else has a mentality of going from the earth to heaven. So if we really want to know about heaven, you know, if you want to learn about what Hawaii's like, and everything that Hawaii has to offer, what's it like? What's the weather like in Hawaii? What are the hotels? What are the beaches? What's that sand like? I'm not going to go to someone that wants to go to Hawaii. I'm going to find somebody that's been there and can actually tell me by experience what it's like. So we go to other people to tell us about what heaven is like when they've never been there. Well, why don't we go to the one person that's been there that has come here and find out what he had to say about heaven? I don't want to hear from someone that just has a dream and a vision. I bet you, you know, if I ask you what Hawaii is like, it's probably a little bit different than what it's actually like. And you might have a preconceived idea based upon what you've heard of what Hawaii is like. Oh, man, the the weather's wonderful. It's 70 degrees constantly. Well, then when I get there and find out that at night it drops to 50 degrees, I'm going to be kind of upset because I didn't bring a jacket. You told me. Oh, well, I've never been there. I mean. No, let's talk to the person. Let's hear from the one person that's been in heaven and has come to this earth. Jesus did not have how do I get to heaven mentality. 
you'll actually discover that Jesus had, how do I get heaven to the earth mentality? We're going to discover through this series that our thinking is backwards. That as believers, we've had this mentality of, what do I have to do to get to heaven? But as believers, we should have a mentality of how can I get heaven in the earth? How can I bring heaven? I mean, we've all heard it. It's like heaven on earth, right? Oh, man, if we could just have heaven on earth. Because heaven is gold streets and mansions. Heaven, there's no crying in heaven. There's no sorrow in heaven. There's no sadness in heaven. In heaven, there's, there's no sin. You never want to do wrong. I mean, heaven is just this glorious... I mean, God is there. God is in heaven. We can get to hang out... With God all day? I mean, there's, there's colors we've never seen. See, you know, movies like the one that just came out, if we're not careful, they can hinder us. Because we'll put more truth in the movie than we will in the Word. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with a guy named Jesse Duplantis. He's been to heaven. He actually went to heaven. And he's got a message about it. Went to heaven. Got to walk around with Jesus in heaven. Saw Abraham. Saw David. Saw them all. Was in the throne room. Whether I believe that or not means nothing. People want to make, did he really go to heaven? Who cares? Because anything he says is not going to override what this says. And I don't believe in heaven more Because of a movie, heaven is for real. I don't believe in heaven more because some minister says he went to heaven and came back and tell me all about it. Great. That's awesome. But it doesn't override. I don't, man, I was wondering about that heaven place, you know, because the Bible doesn't really give a whole lot. But man, now that I heard you speak, now I know it's real. That is a problem with American people today. You're going to tell me you believe in heaven more because of some guy that you can't even confirm if he went to heaven or not. And I'm not here saying he didn't. In fact, I believe he did. Because Paul did. He says, whether I was absent from my body or or, or not, I was up there. I was in the third heaven. Do I believe that God can take people from here and, and take them to heaven and let them experience it? Sure, why not? But it does not change what the word Says, And I don't believe it any less or believe it any more. No, I just believe what the Bible says. Let me show you a couple of verses and then we'll be on our way. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. The, uh, another issue that we run into with talking about heaven and talking about uh, you know, these type of subjects that can hinder our thinking is the fact that we give more attention to stuff that we see than what we don't see. And if we don't see it, then it's not real. But we're going to talk about what's really real. We're going to talk about something that's so real, you don't even know how real it is. 
We want to talk about how real is heaven. Heaven is for real. Heaven is for real. And I'm going to show you how real heaven is. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So number one, we see Jesus. Because of Jesus, everything that we see and don't see, he's created. Everything that we see and don't see. So we know this, that number one, there is a visible But number two, there's an invisible. And the invisible is not any less real than the visible. The the invisible doesn't have any less uh, relevancy to my life than the visible does. But the problem is, is I walk around just looking at the stuff that I see and not giving attention to the stuff that I don't see. So heaven, invisible, is just as real as earth, visible. Just as real. Heaven is not some spiritual place up there, you know, that we'll just float away to. And No, it's real. There's a real place called heaven. And there's a real purpose for heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Are you with me this morning? Come on, this is going to change us. You think, well, what does it really matter if I know about heaven or not? Because... You're going to find out through this series that everything that God wants you to do is tied to heaven. And because you don't really know what heaven's all about, you're not bringing it to the earth. That's what this whole series is about. I'm not just here to just talk to you about heaven so you can go to work tomorrow and say, hey, I know about I know what heaven's really all about. I found out that there really are and, you know, gold streets in heaven. It's 24 karat gold. I always thought it was 18, but it's, it's the real deal. It's the good stuff. I'll learn about what my, what my mansion's going to look like. You should see my backyard. No, that's not what we're going to talk about. Sorry. Hope you come back next week. <laughs> no, we're going to talk about the reality of heaven. Because Jesus talked about heaven as... The Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. I'm getting ahead of myself, but you've got to see this. When he said, this is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom stay in heaven. No, he says, thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, if I don't know what's in heaven, how can I bring it to the earth? Our Father who are in heaven, God is in heaven, and God apparently has a will, a purpose, In heaven, that he wants to get done in the earth. But because he's got all of his believers and all of his Christians wandering around on the earth just trying to figure out how to get to heaven, 
He can't get his will from heaven to the earth. No, God wants me to know about heaven so I can better carry out his will on this planet. Because he didn't create me for heaven. In fact, you can't even exist in heaven. By the end of this series, I want to build a desire in you that you don't even care to go to heaven. Wow, what do you, I, mean, I don't even want to... I mean, when I die, I mean, where do I want to go? Hell? I don't want you to focus on that. When you die, will you go to heaven? Great. Sure. But I want you to be so focused on getting heaven here... Because we'll look at it. Paul talked about it. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Come on. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, this body, is destroyed, we have a building from God. Notice that God ta- uh, uh, Paul refers to this body here on the earth as a tent. And in heaven, it's called a, a building. That's called an upgrade. <laughs> you go from a tent to a building. You, you're getting an upgrade there. We're getting, having some renovations done. Amen? A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In the heavens. In the heavens, it's eternal. For in this we groan, in this body we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan. What's that mean? I'm burdened. I'm I'm weary. I'm just tired of dwelling in this tent. I'm tired of being in the earth and in this tent all the time. Not because we want to be unclothed. But further clothed, I'm in this tent, but I'm crying out because I want the building. I want the mansion. I want, and I'm not talking mansion that you live. I'm talking about our bodies will be glorified bodies. In heaven, you will not die. In heaven, you are immortal. We understand eternity. Heaven is for eternity. So he's saying that right now, I'm desiring because I want the upgrade. I want to go from a tent to a building. Not because I just want to be unclothed, but because I want to be clothed in mortality. He says, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. That means God has prepared you for a body that will never go away. You're in a tent now, but he's prepared you for an upgrade. He's prepared you for a building. But look at the second half. But also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Here's one of of the main flaws that people have about heaven. That until I go to heaven, I can't experience God. I feel sorry for the Christian that goes to heaven and has to be introduced to God for the first time. Because although he has prepared this very thing for me, he's prepared immortality for me, he's prepared a greater body, he's prepared a greater life for me, he has given us 
the spirit as a guarantee. Heaven was not designed to be a place that I go to experience God because he made it available to me by sending his spirit to me that I can experience him in this life, in this earth, anywhere I go, anything I'm doing. But how many people are waiting to know God and waiting to experience God when they get to heaven and are taking no advantage of the fact that the Holy Spirit lives with you today? Abraham didn't have the Holy Spirit with him. David didn't have the Holy Spirit with him. Moses didn't have the Holy Spirit with him. The twelve disciples... When Jesus was on the earth, didn't have the Holy Spirit with them. Oh, I would much rather have Jesus. Oh, really? Because Jesus said, it's better for me that I go because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Apparently, I have it better than if Jesus were walking on the face of this earth right now. I've got it better. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. God himself lives inside of me. I saw uh, you know, a pastor that I follow. He's doing a series on the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know it was on the Holy Spirit because of the way that he titled it. And I love the way that he titled it. I wish I would have thought about it. I love titles. I love catchy stuff. The title of his series is called The God I Never Knew. A series on the Holy Spirit. Because so many times we do God and we do Jesus and we do the Holy Spirit. We don't understand that the Holy Spirit is God. It's Him. And He's living inside of you as a result of Jesus going to the Father. That's our guarantee. Verse 6, So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Now, I want to look at this statement because absent from the Lord, we think, I'm nowhere near God. God is not around me. The Lord is nowhere near me. I'm stuck in this earth in this crazy body. They get sick all the time. I got these crazy work, co-workers that I go to work with every day. There's people bombing each other. There's people chopping off people's heads. There's all this crazy stuff going on in the world. And I'm just, I'm just absent from the Lord. Lord, where are you? That's not what he's saying. This phrase, absent from the Lord, means I don't know him like I will know him. It means there's more to discover. I will see him more fully. I will see him more clearly. But today, he's with me today. It's talking about increase of what you already have. The Lord is with you today. I just don't know him in all his fullness. But when I get to heaven, I will know him more fully. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be pleasant with a uh, present with the Lord. We are confident. He says, yes, it will be better. Yes, it will be an upgrade. Yes, it will be an increase. But then look what he says in verse 9. Therefore. Everyone say, therefore. Therefore, there's a reason that word is there 
for. Therefore is a connecting word. What he just said is connected to what he's about to say. So because God has prepared a greater life for me, because he has given me his Holy Spirit as a guarantee, because I can look forward to a closeness with the Lord, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Therefore, we make it our aim. Most Christians' aim is just to get to heaven. There are so many believers that are walking on the face of the earth just wanting to know what, what is it that's going to... What's that thing that will keep me out of heaven? And, and I'm telling you right now, guys, the line is just getting further and further away. Well, drinking, that won't keep me out of heaven. Smoking? Not going to church. I mean, I'm not going to go to heaven. I mean, how many times do we make those statements? And this is the, the, the skewed thinking about heaven that interrupts our daily purpose and daily life here on this earth. Because if it doesn't keep me out of heaven, then it must be okay. How about being filled with the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? The, 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 biggest, the biggest question that comes up when I talk to people about the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit uh, and the Holy Spirit coming upon you and speaking in other tongues, the, the, the biggest thing is, I mean, it's not like, I still go to heaven. Is that your only focus? Is that the only thing you think about all day long throughout your life is just one day I'm going to heaven so you don't care about anything that will help you accomplish your purpose in the earth today? It doesn't keep me out of, I'm still going to go to heaven. I mean, that's what, that, those are the conversations that I have with other people. Those are the conversations that come up. I had a conversation with a pastor once. And he, he was asking me about it. They're always intuitive. They always want to know. Whether they're teachable or not is one thing. But they want to know. Because the, the, the biggest thing is we've got to find the, the message that we all agree on. Well, we can all agree that Jesus died for our sins and that, that we need Jesus. We need a Savior. Well, yeah, sure. We can agree on that. But there's more. There's more. Does anybody want to know more? Does anybody want to grow deeper in the things of God? Does anyone want to discover why you're on this earth? Or do you want to spend 60 to 90 years on this planet wandering around wondering what in the world am I supposed to be doing? Why did God even put me here? So we don't ask those questions. Well, I mean, you know, if, if I don't get, if I don't, now, if I don't, if I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, will, will that keep me from going to heaven? Well, no. So we don't see it as a necessity. Heaven is the goal. He says, therefore, we make it our aim. That's what I'm striving for. That's my goal in life. This is what I'm trying to achieve. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. And he says his aim is not to get to heaven. He says my aim, whether I'm present or absent, is to be pleasing to him. That's the goal. Heaven is not the goal. Heaven is not the aim. He just goes on this big old rant that, yes, 
Heaven's going to be better. Yes, there's some things to look forward to. But that's not my goal. My goal is that while I'm here in this earth, I'm striving to be pleasing to him. Whatever I got to do to be pleasing to him, to help accomplish. And there's only one thing that is pleasing to God. A life of purpose. A life of purpose. Are you doing what he puts you here on the planet? Here, God is not pleased with the fact that you made it to heaven. You don't see that in the Bible. That's not up there clapping his hands saying, man, you made it. Man, you, you just got him by the skin of your teeth, but you're here. Sure, he's thankful that you're there and not in hell, but he's thinking, now what about that life that I gave you? What about all that influence I gave you at that job? Instead of leading them to the Lord, you just did all the stupid stuff they did. How come you didn't share about who I am and how I can set them free? How, how come you didn't how come you conformed to the world and you didn't transform your mind so you could transform? Why did God, I thought you just wanted me to get to heaven. I thought this was all about heaven. Well, I don't want any surprise people. There is a heaven. There is a hell. They are for real. But there's an earth that we've got a purpose that we have a calling and we are to be striving to be pleasing to him. Before Paul went into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he was in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. He's talking about the pressures and the trials of being on the earth. I mean, if, if, if anybody had the ability to just talk about pressures and trials and pains in the earth, it was Paul. No matter what he did, no matter how hard he pushed, no matter how much he preached the gospel, it only got worse for him. If anybody had the right to say, all right, God, I've done enough. Just get me to heaven. In fact, he makes that statement at one point. <laughs> he says to be present with the Lord, man, that'd be awesome. But it's far better for me to remain with you. Why? Because in heaven, that's not my purpose. If I want to aim to fully please my God, I got to stay here with you and continue my mission, continue my course. So he says, we don't lose heart. Even though the outward man's perishing, the inward man's being renewed day by day. Our light affliction is but for a moment. Is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He's saying, what I'm doing today is determining what I receive there. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That word, that statement, do not look at, doesn't mean I ignore it. It means I don't focus on it. See, we got to put heaven in the right perspective. I'm not saying ignore heaven. I'm not saying, uh, you know, don't care about heaven. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is allow heaven to continue to push you towards striving for your purpose in the earth today.
Heaven is for real. Heaven is for real. God did not create heaven and God did not design heaven as a place that we have to go to experience and know him. He gave us his spirit. He's called us with a great purpose. He's got a great destiny in place for you right now. And when we take a look at the life of Jesus and when we take a look at what Jesus said about heaven, we're going to discover that heaven has a lot to offer me today. Today. Heaven's not this far off place that I have to, you know, long for and I just can't wait to get there. But there's actually stuff that God wants me to access Today, he, he, he told Peter, he said, upon this rock, I'm building the church. And to the church, I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys unlock things. What is it that God is wanting to unlock from heaven that we can access in the earth today? What is it that God is wanting us to to, to, to to take a hold of from heaven and reveal to people today? When you go to work, it should be heaven on earth. When you show up at family functions, it should be heaven on earth. When you go to church, it should be heaven on earth. That's what God intended. That's what God wanted was I've got things for you in heaven, but I need you to bring them to the earth. So quit trying to get here. And start trying to bring it there. That's what he created you and I for. You're a king. You're royalty. You're a king. You rule and reign in this life as a king. You have to understand that you're royalty. But when a king goes to another country, he's no longer in charge. Whoever rules that country is in charge. For us as kings, this is our domain. This is our territory. This is where we rule. This is where we reign. But if I go to heaven, I don't have any authority there because there's already a king there. His name is God. For you to rule and reign, you have to be in your territory. You have to be where God gave you authority. And in Genesis chapter 1, he told us, let them have dominion over all the earth. The earth is where you belong. The earth is where you belong. I hope that doesn't depress you today. I hope that doesn't... Oh, great. thought it was all about heaven. Now I'm just... It's all about this place. It should excite you. Every mess should excite you. All the craziness. That's why I'm here. You read this stuff on the news? I'm going to pray for those people. And my prayers are powerful. My prayers change things. I'm not asking God to change anything. I'm doing my part that he put me here for. And I'm going to ask God, how do you want me to change that? I 
has taken our role, has taken our dominion. Heaven has a lot more to do with you than you think. Heaven has a lot more to do with us as believers than we think. And we've got to strive to know truth. Strive to know what the word says. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning. Father, I thank you for open hearts and open minds, receptive to the word of God. Father, I thank you that you are the revealer of truth. Holy Spirit, you are called to guide us, lead us, direct us into all truth. So, Father, as we hunger to know your word, as we hunger to know your truth, reveal it to us. Make it known to us. Things that seem hard or difficult to reason out with our minds. We thank you that they are spiritually discerned. And I thank you that you open up the scripture to us. So that we can know and accomplish all that you have called us to do. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this this morning. In Jesus name. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Our ushers now are coming to receive the tithe and offering. Tithe and offering. If you need an offering envelope, please raise your hand. And our ushers will get you one. Hallelujah.